Hello, and welcome to this episode of Vogue Business's Beauty Radar, a no-nonsense podcast unpacking the hottest beauty topics today, presented by City Commercial Bank. I'm your host, Katie Chitrakorn, and today we'll discuss how beauty and tech are converging. Technology is transforming the way that beauty does business. It's changing the DNA of heritage companies, influencing the ways that brands talk to consumers, and making the retail experience smarter. The Shiseido Group, which owns brands such as Nars and Drunk Elephant, has been adopting a number of tech-driven initiatives, all of which feed into its innovation plans. Joining me today to discuss this is Dina Fierro, Senior Vice President of the Web3 and Metaverse Group at Shiseido Americas. Hi, Dina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So I was really excited to speak to you because I think you hold a really unique role within your organization. And I'm personally so curious to understand how you ended up in this position at Shiseido Americas. You know, just to take us back, I started my career really in the earliest days of online community and social media. Initially, I worked in marketing for one of the very earliest multi-brand e-tailers online. And then I shifted into agency roles when social media was truly nascent. So I like to say that I've kind of worked consistently in emergent digital spaces, whether that's online forums and communities, social media, influencer marketing, or now Web3 and the metaverse. And then in 2019, I joined NARS Cosmetics as VP, overseeing several digital touch points globally, including content, social media, digital media. The brand had a really long history of innovation, um, including early forays into gaming that preceded my tenure. And so I'm really pleased to have worked on a lot of projects that really, you know, continue that trajectory. And then in January, I moved into a new role within Shiseido Americas, where I have, you know, really the pleasure and the privilege of partnering with our portfolio of brands. So that includes NARS, as well as Drunk Elephant, Brand Shiseido, Clay de Pobote. And there I'm able to work on similarly innovative projects, including the recently launched Shiseido Future Reflections Generative Art Collection, which minted through 1,872 NFTs in honor of Shiseido's founding year in less than six hours. So that's a little bit about me. Well, we'll have to talk more about and unpack that project in a little bit more detail. But I'm just so curious to just to begin with, hear more about what your role is like, you know. So what does being Senior Vice President of Web3 Metaverse entail? Sure. I mean, essentially, I work in a transversal capacity to advance our organizational acumen as it relates to Web3, the metaverse, and more broadly, emergent digital technology, which is a space that I'm really passionate about. So, you know, I work in partnership with our brands to develop 360 projects that really tap into emerging areas of, of digital and emerging technology. And, you know, together we create strategies that are hopefully aligned to their broader business objectives and strategies that really build on consumer awareness, engagement, and equity. I also do quite a bit of, you know, education internally on these topics. So we have essentially a regional learning agenda. Um, you know, we do quite a bit of programming that brings in not only internal experts who've worked on projects like these, but also brings in external thought leaders um, to share their respective, you know, perspective on kind of emergent tech and where these spaces are going. And in your opinion, is it a role that's becoming more common that 
you know, a lot of beauty companies have today? Or do you still feel like a bit of an anomaly? Yeah, I think it's interesting because every organization is obviously structured in a different way, and they may have different approaches to how they address innovation internally within the group. You know, that said, there's definitely sort of a group of marketers that I know well who work in very similar roles to mine across the fashion and the beauty industries. And we are, for example, a community in and of ourselves, and there's a lot of camaraderie, I would say around anyone and everyone who's kind of working in these emergent spaces. I do think that there is sort of a case to be made for having a more centralized innovation team and acceleration team because the opportunity is really to have a group that is able to be a bit more agile and certainly quite a bit more immersed into this space, which is super expansive. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it brings a lot of value to our brands to have myself and my team kind of dedicated to relationship building and networking within these spaces so that we can really bring the best of, whether those are, you know, prospective agency partners, studio partners, technology partners, et cetera. We have a much clearer view of the landscape, for example, than I think most people working in more traditional digital marketing experience or commerce roles would be able to have. That makes sense. I would love to hear about some of the projects that you've worked on um, recently, especially like any past standout things that you've worked on at NARS. I'm just curious to hear which areas that you've um, invested in and why, you know, you felt they were important. Sure. You know, NARS really has had a long history of innovation, and they were, in fact, one of the earliest beauty brands to kind of dabble within the gaming space, all in in sort of years that preceded my tenure. But that said, in, in 2020, with the pandemic's, you know, sort of effects in play, we did establish a, a test and learn innovation roadmap that eventually drove us into some very successful pilot projects in immersive commerce, Web3, the metaverse, and gaming. So, you know, a few of those projects, we launched our Orgasm Experienced NFT release in 2021. Um, We also had very meaningful brand integrations in the luxury styling game Dressed, as well as the Korean-based metaverse platform Zepetto. Those projects were honestly enormously successful in different capacities. And so they really set the stage for what I would consider to be bigger bets in 2022. And those bigger bets included the brand's entry into Roblox through NARS Color Quest, which remains one of the most successful branded experiences on platform to date, as well as the launch of NARS Power Players, who are a pioneering trio of metahuman ambassadors that were built in Unreal Engine 5 and launched in late 2022. So, you know, those were really some of the projects that set the stage for me to move into my new role within Shiseido Americas, which I began in January of 2023. And I would say, you know, in 2023, we've continued really to expand our footprint in scaled metaverse environments. So, for example, you know, the NARS team launched Sweet Rush, NARS Sweet Rush on Roblox in June. And then we've also been really focused on bringing more immersive experiences to consumers through real-world eventing. So, for example, for Drunk Elephant, we debuted an AR mirror at Sephora, which is Sephora's largest-scale consumer activation of the year. That AR mirror was developed in partnership with the virtual fashion house DressX. 
Um, and then we've also continued to build what I would consider to be strategically, but also cautiously in Web3. We do see the digital wallet and, and tokenization as likely CRM channels of the future. And so for our forays in 2023, we've focused largely on partnerships that bring new audiences to the brand. So for example, in February, NARS partnered with the female-founded and led Web3 community Boss Beauties to launch Odentity. And then, as I mentioned, for Brown Shiseido, we recently partnered with minting technology leader Artblocks Engine for the future Reflections Generative Art launch. So in, in 2024, I'm like really interested to see how I would say AI and also Web3 infrastructure continue to develop. I'm likewise very interested to see how a lot of these scaled gaming and kind of metaverse environments like a Roblox and Fortnite continue to evolve their respective ecosystems to address, I would say, like the changing demographics of their platforms and also to, you know, allow brands, I would say, to enter in more meaningful, but also potentially lower lift ways. Right. I think one of the maybe the challenges with innovation in general is that sometimes I see something trending like NFTs and suddenly you see all the brands announcing they're launching an NFT, but then it's, you know, super short-lived or some last longer than others. I'm curious to understand how you approach evaluating risks, you know, with all the projects that you've worked on and with future areas of investment. How do you weigh your priorities and, you know, which technologies to explore and which to invest in? Well, it's interesting because I think there's kind of two questions there. And one thing that I will say, you know, before I come back to the question on evaluating risk um, is around, I would say, Web3 and, and more specifically NFTs. We have seen a lot of brands make some really concerted mistakes in their NFT releases. And I think that that comes back to potentially those brands being a bit less connected to Web3 culture and community at its core. Because while we can talk about Web3 as a suite of enabling technology, and that's kind of how I often think about it or describe it, it is as much a suite of technology as it is a culture and a community. And so it's really, really important that brands that are entering into that space are very tapped into the sentiment and sort of the temperature of that culture and community at any given time. And it is a space that moves very quickly. And I think the other mistake that a lot of brands have made is that they sort of saw it as an immediate opportunity for commercial ROI. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that the communities that are most successful in Web3, whether those are Web3 native communities or brands that have entered the Web3 ecosystem, they are building with a more long-term roadmap in mind. And I think that that in particular is really critical to success within Web3. You know, that said, to come back to your question just around innovation, I, I will say that I think, you know, innovation comes with an inherent degree of risk. Um, you do you, meaning, you know, myself personally and our brands need to be comfortable with the idea of failure, which can definitely make people uncomfortable, of course. But um, I do think that that's something that the Shiseido organization and also our respective brand leaders are comfortable with, um, as long as it is thoughtfully considered and assessed. You know, that said, particularly as it relates to Web3, emerging kind of immersive spaces and tech like AI, we do assess a multitude of factors before we kind of craft a strategy and or an entry. 
And so some of those factors are tangible. So looking at things like adoption, scale, or demographics. And then some of them are honestly highly subjective. And they might connect back, for example, to credibility or to critical momentum, which can be kind of difficult to measure, but it's it's almost more of an intuitive assessment. And only when we are comfortable in looking at those tangible and subjective factors do we then decide to invest in a project through creative or technical development. And and then how does it work? Do you have to convince people, certain people on a group or brand level to invest in certain tech or do the individual brands innovate and then they come to you? Like how does, what is the, what is the dynamic like? I mean, that's a really good question. And I would say that the answer is both. Um, You know, I'm very lucky in that Shiseido is a forward-thinking organization, and our brand leaders are always quite open to doing things a little bit differently, particularly now that they've seen the value that digitally innovative projects can bring to the organization through, for example, a lot of the NARS pilots that we talked about a little bit earlier. I will say that education definitely plays a critical role in understanding, as does practical hands-on experience in execution. So good ideas really come from everywhere within the organization, and we've nurtured what I would consider to be a reciprocal relationship with the brands and their respective leaders. So in some instances, myself and my team will bring sort of partnership opportunities or prospective pilots to the brand for their buy-in, for their approval. However, there are as many instances of the brands kind of coming to us, either with an innovative idea that they'd like to partner on, or potentially just, you know, a business challenge that they're dealing with where they think that, for example, Web3, an immersive experience or another technology could kind of contribute. And in those instances, we then partner really closely on the execution. That's really interesting to hear. I found that some execs in at big firms have kind of highlighted in past interviews that, you know, a classic problem with innovation at a corporation is that you might come up with great ideas, but then, you know, the project dies or it doesn't make its way to its final, you know, con- stage because it just can't get adopted into the main business. I'm curious, is that something that you've faced or is it because of the framework that you've just des- described, you know, you would never get to that situation? I mean, I think, you know, innovation and more broadly change management are really challenging, um, regardless of the organization that you sit within. That said, my feeling is that if an idea is truly great and if it's well-timed, meaning that both the technology is sophisticated enough and the consumer adoption is on an upswing, that idea will ultimately be adopted by the organization because it is, at the end of the day, delivering value in whatever way you may be measuring that. So that said, you know, I do think that resourcing is always a challenge. And in many instances, you may have groups within an organization who are working on, you know, truly innovative projects. But ultimately, for those projects to be adopted by the brand and scaled more broadly, the brand needs to be resourced appropriately. So that resourcing Mm -hmm. encompasses, for example, prioritization. It may encompass things like headcount or organizational restructures. Um, And then it certainly, you know, obviously encompasses budget as well. And so it can be difficult in some instances for the pace of innovation from, let's say, a corporate innovation team to align to that resourcing within the brand. Mm. 
Would you say that、um, today that's one of the biggest challenges you face, or are there any kind of other big challenges that、um, you're navigating in your role that you know from the outside world we might not be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I think you know I've been brand side for many years in my career, so I think for me, what's been most interesting over the course of the past year, and it's been both invigorating and challenging, it's actually been adapting to working in. A regional capacity across a portfolio of brands, because I think that for me it's very important that the digitally innovative projects that we work on align very closely to the brand's broader objectives and strategy, and so it's essentially. Really important that we are not only immersed in the brand, but also immersed in the respective ecosystem, so that we can kind of match make in a way that feels effective. You know, this has also been an interesting year, just when we think about Web three and the metaverse, because obviously there have been a lot of really foreboding headlines、mm-hmm. and a lot of really,、um, you know, critical, I would say, analysis of Web three in particular. And I think that you know, for the Web three enthusiasts who are building in the space, I think it's actually. Been really beneficial to see that degree of scrutiny because it's forced everyone to be a lot more thoughtful, sort of in the products that they may be building and the projects that they're bringing to market. That's exactly something that I wanted to pick on with you because I'm、um, our senior innovation editor,、um, Megan Madowell. She is someone I believe you've connected with before, but for、um, anyone listening who isn't familiar, she leads. Excellent tech coverage for us, and publishes a weekly Tuesday newsletter. And she was really interested to hear from you about Web three, which you know some people have say has lost its appeal or failed to deliver on its promises. Do you feel that Web three is just a bit dormant right now, or where where are we at? I mean, here I'm. I'm gonna invoke what the Dgens or the Web three enthusiasts will say. It's still very early. So you know the reality is that yes, there there are a lot of challenges in the Web three ecosystem, but I am a big believer that we'll continue to see advances in both technology and infrastructure, as well as consumer behavior, meaning the broader adoption, for example, of digital wallets and inherently digital assets, whether those are virtual goods, NFTs, or digital collectibles in the coming years. And a lot of that is generational, by the way, and it's validated by quite a bit of consumer research, either consumer research that we've conducted internally within the Shiseido Group, or also more broadly available consumer research, in that we see, for example, that you know, a lot of Gen Z audiences are very tapped into digital wallets. They inherently understand the value of digital assets, and so I definitely think that we're really in the midst of what is ultimately a, a transformative shift in our online experience. You know, and I often say, and I do really believe that Web three, in my mind, is an inevitability. It doesn't mean that we'll continue to talk about it in the same way that we've been talking about it. It doesn't mean that we'll call it Web three. I mean, I don't know anyone who really talks about the internet and its current iteration as Web two.、Um, but I would really suggest that listeners think about it as an evolution of our current online experience, one that is rooted intrinsically. In tenets like ownership and decentralization, you talked about consumer research that you've done internally, and that's also been published more widely. I'm curious, what are the kinds of things that you've seen or learned in in terms of changes in user and creator behavior that 
you know, brands should be paying attention to? When we think about sort of the evolution of online behavior, I do believe that tokenization in general through Web3 technology is going to have a major impact in how consumers um, both engage with brands, how they aggregate themselves within online communities, and also how they engage with creators. So I do think that the creator piece for me is is quite interesting because if we even think about the past several years and the evolution of the creator landscape, you know, for a long time, creators were really beholden to quote unquote web two platforms, whether those were social media platforms or publishing platforms. And now we've really seen the rise of a lot of subscription ecosystems, whether that is, for example, um, Cameo or an OnlyFans or a Patreon or a Substack. And those are all environments that really let creators essentially own their own community as well as their monetization trajectory. And I think that tokenization as it relates to Web3 um, also has a lot of relevance within that space. Because when you look at, for example, the most established uh, Web3 communities, whether that is, for example, a community like, um, you know, a, a Deadfellas or a Board Ape Yacht Club. You know, these are communities that have a really expansive reach even beyond their community of holders. You know, they are at their core groups of people with, with shared interests who have strong connections to one another. And I think that, you know, creators in the same way will be able to use Web3 technology and tokenization as ways to own their respective community and sort of nurture those connections in a very hands-on way. So that's one of the things that I think about. I'm also very interested to see sort of how the avatar and the virtual goods landscape evolves, because we're even seeing quite a bit of experimentation here, again, through the more web to social ecosystems. You know, Snap was certainly um, an early innovator here, as they often are and rarely get credit for. Um, You know, TikTok is doing quite a bit of experimentation with more dynamic avatars. Um, And then, of course, we've seen a lot of forays from Meta across their respective avatar ecosystem, bringing on board, you know, brands, for example, for wardrobing of those avatars, um, introducing those avatars into new surfaces and touch points within their respective platforms. So I think that, you know, those are spaces where we're going to continue to see more and more consumer adoption. And it may be that the entry point is through these more scaled, kind of widely understood Web2 platforms like an Instagram. And as you think about these new potential, um, you know, ventures or initiatives, like how do you ensure that Shiseido maintains its brand DNA when you're implementing these new technologies or when you're showing up in new ways, like some of these experiences that you've mentioned? You know, while I love technology, it is essential that the projects we bring to market align really thoughtfully to our brand's DNA and really add value to the consumer experience in some way. So an excellent and a really timely example would be our recent Shiseido Future Reflections launch, which tapped into the emerging generative art space. So for those listening who may not be familiar, generative art is not synonymous with generative AI. Generative art is actually code-based, but not autonomous. So generative artists create and refine code to create unique one-of-a-kind digital works. 
And so when you think about it critically, generative art is truly the merging of, of art and technology. And in learning more about it, it really presented a perfect parallel, for example, to Shiseido's approach to product innovation, which has been honed over the course of more than 150 years. You know, Shiseido is also an organization that's been really invested in the arts um, since the inception of the brand. Um, the brand was actually founded by an artist. And we have, for example, a gallery outside of Tokyo that has supported emerging artists for years. So in this instance, the Shiseido Future Reflections launched this partnership with Artblocks Engine with four incredible emerging generative artists. We felt that it was actually a perfect connection to the brand's DNA and a perfect connection to something that we don't often, you know, express around beauty product innovation. That's fantastic. For the other execs who are listening in, what would be your advice for how they could potentially think about their companies um, when it comes to technology going forward? I'm a big believer in curiosity and participation. You know, the reality is that these spaces are still relatively nascent, whether we're thinking about more you know, the more immersive 3D internet or the metaverse, if we're thinking about Web3, if we're thinking about emerging technology like AI, you know, there's still a chance to get in in the relatively early days to be curious, to experiment, and ultimately to participate. And I do think that that's really the best way to gain an understanding of how these technologies are ultimately going to be shifting consumer behavior and shifting brand marketing in, you know, the the months and the years ahead. Great. Well, thanks so much, Dina. I feel like we've got lots to chat about, but that is all the time that we have for today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Katie. It was a pleasure to be here. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, you might like to become a Vogue Business member. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% on the usual membership rate. This has been Vogue Business's Beauty Radar Podcast, presented by City. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.